I got up to work on the Monday morning at half past five in the morning and went into the bathroom and collapsed. And then it transpired that my wife thought I'd just got up a little bit too early. And next minute I just slumped and she just said, I'm calling the paramedics, something's not right. She rang them, they turned up and they just said, oh, we think he's having a stroke. I had a quite a large bleed on the left-hand side of my brain, as I say. So yeah, I was in for four weeks, but then it was like you sort of recovery period initially at home. You feel very isolated, you feel very alone. After a few days, I sat at home watching something on TV and like a, a normal human being, I got the munchies and I was like, mm, I really fancy, fancy cheese on toast. So I was like, yeah, I can do that. And I hobbled into the kitchen and put the bread in the toast and I went to cut the cheese and I couldn't do it. I remember at the time my wife had come home from work and I'd cry my eyes out. As stroke survivor, you effectively have had a major glitch to your computer. So you're just waiting for that virus to get sorted out and that sort of computer will get back there again. From anyone else's point of view really, just to try and understand what they're going through. Hello, this is Stroke Stories. I'm Mark Goodyear. Stress can have a severe impact on your health and well-being. A 2016 study conducted in China found that jobs with high demands and low control were associated with a 22% increase in the risk of having a stroke. Having a good balance between your work and personal life can sometimes seem difficult but can be achieved with the right advice and the right guidance. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this episode, we'll hear from former footballer Nick Clark from Stockport, who suffered a stroke at the age of 42. My life before my stroke was probably just like any other normal bloke, whatever normal means, but you worked for a living, trying to earn a decent crust to pay for the finer things in life, such as nice holidays and drive a nice car and stuff like that. And then on the 10th of September, 2012, it all changed. As they say, it's out of the blue, the stroke happens. I got up to work on the Monday morning, at half past five in the morning, and went into the bathroom and collapsed. And then it transpired that my wife thought I'd just got up a little bit too early. And next minute I just slumped and she just said, I'm calling the paramedics, something's not right. She rang them, they turned up and they just said, oh, we think he's having a stroke. And to this day, it was like, what? I'm 42, I'm not, this can't be happening. And obviously since the stroke, it's been like, you realize that you can have a stroke at any age. You know, it doesn't matter what race, any sex or your age, it doesn't make any difference. It can happen at any time. And it did with me and that's why I met my consultant who was our class's god. He performed a lumbar punch to stop the fluid on my spine and even to this day he still calls me a little bleeder because I had a bleed on my left side of my brain and so therefore my right hand side was affected completely. But I've worked hard at my sort of recovery and it's true what they say that every stroke's different Every recovery journey is different as well. You know, it all affects differently. And 
I personally found that there was very little help and support out there for people who are going through it. So hence the reason I started Stroke Information and we managed to get charity status in April 2016. And I just love doing what I'm doing. It's just providing help and support for people that are in need of that information. And I know we're not going to change the world, but if we can change a little bit where we live, then great. After his stroke, Nick was in hospital for a month. I had a quite a large bleed on the left-hand side of my brain, as I say, which was a massive shock because I didn't even know I had a brain. So there you go. So yeah, I was in for four weeks, but then it was like you sort of recovery period initially at home. You feel very isolated. You feel very alone. Your friends and family come around to see you. They, they all want to see you because you're the latest thing that Blinkert Nick's had a stroke. Let's, we must go and see him which is fantastic, but I do feel that you also have to set some boundaries so that, for instance, you sort of tell your relatives to come round. If they want to come round, can they please do it between the hours of, say, 11 and 2? Because the rest of the time you need to sleep, you need to take your time. Fatigue is a massive thing with regards to stroke. It's just not your normal tiredness. It's a proper you are completely washed out. And even to the extent now, seven years on, there's some days when I'm feeling, yeah, I'm gonna conquer the world type of thing. And there's other days when I think, you know, I cannot be bothered today. Every day to me is positive. And the fact is that I'm still here, trying to make a little bit of a difference with the people that have had strokes within Stockport, which is, there's actually over 7,000 of them. And then it's like the drastic figures of, you look at it globally, the amount of people it affects, and 17 million, it's like each year, that's scandalous. So if we can just try and make a little bit of a difference, then it's great. I had my stroke, I was taken to a local hospital, NHS hospital, and you cannot fault the NHS, they're fantastic. But because I had private healthcare, I went to a private hospital. And yeah, it's great, you get treated like it's a hotel where your food's on tap. You've got your own little room. But in a roundabout way, it's, it's weird because you don't see anyone else within those four walls that has also gone through what you're going through. So after I was well enough, I started volunteering at the local stroke hospital because I wanted to give a little bit back and a bit of encouragement for people that were going through it. And I absolutely loved it. I just loved just giving people a bit of morale, if that's the right word, support, empowerment, whatever you want to call it. But doctors and clinicians are, are fantastic. But so many or too many times you hear, oh, he'll never walk again. Well, hang on a minute. How do you know? I'm glad to say that I've actually proved people wrong. When you see people with determination, you know, one guy, for instance, that we've been told he'd never talk again, and we're playing a simple game of hangman. And me being a bit of a practical joker, just started as though I was sending him a telepathic message. And he just looked at me and laughed, and then all of a sudden he went, lamb hot pot. I was like, what? The rest of the group were just like, oh my God, I've just witnessed a miracle. And it wasn't, it was just the fact that I think that he was just at ease, that other people around him were had been through the same situation and it was just great.
For Nick, the emotional impact of the stroke came as a surprise. After a few days, I uh, sat at home watching something on TV and like a, a normal human being, I got the munchies and I was like, mm, I really fancy, fancy cheese on toast. So I was like, yeah, I can do that. And I hobbled into the kitchen and making marks on the, on the walls as I'm holding my space, put the bread in the toast and I went to cut the cheese and I couldn't do it. I was like, oh my God, I can't cut cheese. The sort of slathers that I'd tried, by the time I put them on, on the toast, to put them under the toaster, they looked like lemon curd. And I remember at the time my wife had come home from work and I'd cry my eyes out. And she said, what's the matter with you? I was just like, oh, I wanted to make cheese on toast, I couldn't do it. It's those little sort of messages that come across that things you take for granted. Even now I struggle holding a knife to, to cut cheese, but stroke survivors find a way, don't we? And that's what we sort of learn through our new pathways that we make up there that we'll find a way. Nick was also under a great deal of stress as a result of his job. I was in a very pressured environment. It was in the internet industry, within a web hosting industry, where you can understand that people's businesses are on, on the line if something goes wrong. And I was getting phone calls at three o'clock in the morning to go and sort air conditioning issues out and things like that. Other times on a Sunday, for instance, I was up painting a box bedroom window sill or something like that. And I'd get a phone call because one of the engineers had locked himself out of the data center. And I got a phone call to go and travel 70 miles to let them in. And I was like, this is ludicrous. And, you know, I had the stroke and unfortunately, my employer made me redundant. When I was actually in intensive care with tubes coming out of every orifice, he was on the phone to my wife demanding to know when I'd be back at work. Unbeknown to me at the time, but my dad actually rang him up a few days later and said, do you realize that my son's just nearly died and you haven't got kids, have you? You need to show a bit more empathy. And yeah, in the following year, he, he made me redundant. Looking back, I'd never have probably gone back to work anyway, but he didn't know that and he didn't need to treat me the way that he did. And what I'd like to sort of do now, even with the charity, is to try and educate employers so that they could be a little bit more understanding. about. And, you know, it's all about information, knowledge, education. Nick's career was incredibly demanding and left him little time to distance himself from work. After his stroke, he decided the one thing he knew he wanted to do was help other stroke survivors. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Nick talks about the aim of his charity, Stroke Information. My ultimate goal, if you like, is to try and get people that have had a stroke back to work with one shape or or another and not necessarily work as in payment but it's work as in make them feel wanted make them feel part of something again and he talks about some of the stigmas around the illness i was talking to some students yesterday and one of the questions i got asked yesterday was what was the youngest person i know that's had a stroke he was eight years old and he didn't even know that you could have a stroke at that age. And I was explaining to him that you can have a stroke in the womb. You know, everyone's sort of misconception about strokes are therefore people sort of circa 60 plus. 
It's not the case at all. Let's hear how Nick used his stroke as inspiration for the next chapter in his life. Life is tough, but, you know, the way that I do look at things is as though I've been given a second chance. And the fact that I've started the charity and reaching out to other people who are going through what I went through, to me, it's as though I found my calling. I love it. I absolutely love it. And, you know, there's nothing more powerful than if you can help somebody who's in sort of a desperate need, whether it be information, a bus pass, a blue badge, a benefit claim or whatever, because they're going through it, there's nothing better than that experience that someone who's been there then done it. You know, it's like going to buy a Mercedes car, for instance. You would want to speak to someone who's got a Mercedes car, so you learn to know its little traits. Nick now runs a dedicated charity in Stockport called Stroke Information to spread help and awareness in the local area. Like every other stroke survivor, I suppose, you either want to tell your story or you don't, and the majority of stroke survivors I know think about writing a book or telling a story through a book, and it's like, yeah, great. I remember being in hospital and I, did, I could use one arm, so it was like, I'm going to get an iPad, I'm going to start writing all about my experience. And I did, I wrote what could be turned into a book. But then you get used to other people that have actually done it. So I wanted to do something a little bit different. And one of my former colleagues, he just contacted me, he said, Nick, I've heard you've had a stroke. What I've done is I've put you some web space aside. It's yours. I don't what do you mean? Build a website, it's yours. I'll teach you, I'll guide you how to do things. I was like, really? And like next minute it was stroke information was born. We were getting emails and calls from people as far as Beirut and France and USA, Egypt and Australia. And it was like, wow, this is really powerful. We wanted to try and get into the local hospitals and explain the fact that we've been there and you know the peer support side of but because we weren't a registered charity, they couldn't really endorse what we were doing so the idea was then to make it a registered charity which we did in april 2016. i mean my, my ultimate goal if you like is to try and get people that have had a stroke back to work with one shape or, or another and not necessarily work as in payment but it's work as in make them feel wanted make them feel part of something again and that's what stroke information is all about really i felt there was a need for Letting people know how to cope, help people understand what that person's going through. So we started this weekly drop-in, which was just no appointment needed. Just come along, bring your family members, bring your carers, whatever, and talk to other people that have been through it. I don't have all the answers, but you know the people in the combined as, as a group, you might be able to help each other. So that's how the sort of idea evolved. And it's it's just grown. I mean, you know, if it started off from sort of two of us to weekly, we're getting 15, 16, but it's 16 more people that have had strokes that understand now that there is somewhere to go. There is someone to talk to. There is ideas of going through with, you know, your sort of depression, anxiety and all the rest of it. At least you've got a release mechanism now where you can release it out to, you know, the people that have been through it. and. You know, honoured to customers, friends. Despite the progress he's made, Nick still finds it frustrating adapting to his new life. 
I'm cheesed off that I can't do what I used to do. I'm cheesed off that, I mean, I used to play football, but it's just no chance. I've even played at Old Trafford. I mean, people don't understand how special that was. And now to have that sort of capability taken away, it's like, wow. In a roundabout way, I found solace through stroke information now. It's, I did go through the stage of anxiety and depression. I'd find myself very snappy. Potentially, I could say I was quite rude. If there's several conversations going on in a room, for instance, I would have to go and lock myself away because I couldn't concentrate. Even now when we have family gatherings and I'll have my mother and my father talking one side there and then mother-in-law and father-in-law talking over there and then my sister talking over there and it's like I don't know where to focus. So I used to literally go away and lock myself in a bedroom and just listen to music just to declutter. But now, again, you find about coping strategies and as I say, I just love doing it now and if I can help someone along the way, then great. I was talking to some students yesterday and one of the questions I got asked yesterday was, what was the youngest person I know that's had a stroke? He was eight years old. They were first year speech and language therapy students and they didn't even know that you could have a stroke at that age. And I was explaining to them that you can have a stroke in the womb. You know, everyone's sort of misconception about strokes are therefore people sort of circa 60 plus. It's not the case at all. He also found his stroke impacted relationships with his family and friends. When the stroke first happens, everyone wants to come and see you. You're the latest piece of meat. You're the latest trophy to people to come around. So like you're very popular with the neighbours and relatives, even friends, old work colleagues. And then I'd say something between six weeks to three months it filters off and then it filters off even further. But looking at it, everyone's got their lives to live. So you can understand it, but even the odd occasion just to say, how are you doing, Nick? I've not seen you for ages. That would mean the world to the stroke survivor because, you know, for the last, I don't know, seven, seven years in my particular case, I've not heard from him. I used to be a bit of a, a focal point within my organization. You know, I, say good morning to everyone and, and have a bit of a laugh and a joke, a bit of banter. And then for suddenly for it to go, it's just... I remember one particular time being at a local supermarket and I was pushing a trolley because I was using it for balance. And by the time I'd finished the shopping with the wife and the car, taking the shopping in the car, I went to put the shopping trolley back and there's another person waiting to take a trolley. And I said, oh, it's all right, love, you can have this one. And she looked at me as though I had the plague. And it was like, really? So from an education point of view, it's just, I would ask people just to put themselves in our shoes. I'm definitely still the same Nick. It's just, there might be a few missing pieces. One of the classic scenario that I like to use is the, you imagine driving on the motorway and it's your brain's programmed to go down the M6 and all of a sudden there's a massive crash on the M6. So you've got to find another way to get to London. I feel like there's stuff missing. It's again, really hard to explain. When I first had my stroke, the bleed, as I say, was on the left. So my right hand side was affected. I actually felt as though I had a, a patch about six by 12 inches around my torso. And I felt there was nothing there. I actually went, 
kept going to grab it and it's bizarre. And the, the things that I can only sort of describe now is your brain was playing tricks on you. But, you know, you, you learn to cope. And finally, Nick gives his advice to stroke survivors and their loved ones. From a sort of family of loved ones, just try and be a bit more understanding because as stroke survivor, you effectively have had a major glitch to your computer. So you're just waiting for that virus to get sorted out and that sort of computer will get back there again. From anyone else's point of view, really, just try and understand what they're going through. And hopefully this will certainly help people that are going through what I went through. You might come across that you're very been isolated, but there is help out there. Nick is now helping to make a real impact in Stockport, helping members of the community get back into work and running support groups to provide stroke survivors with a space where they can share their experiences with others. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. Kenzie's left leg didn't move at all, but her right leg, you know, kicked just normally. And I asked the neurologist what she was thinking, and the neurologist said, well, it's either a migraine, an epileptic seizure, or a stroke. Please subscribe to our podcast on your preferred podcast provider, and please rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. The Stroke Association website also has plenty of information where you can find out more about stroke. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.